I'm Kyle Rode, and this is the Rebel HR Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Rebel HR is a podcast for HR professionals who are ready to make some disruption in the world of work. Follow us online on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, rebelhumanresources.com, or follow me on Twitter at RebelHRGuy. All right, listeners, I am extremely excited to have a conversation today with Claudia Shabel, president of Shabel Solutions. She helps organizations diffuse the dangers of unconscious bias from overlooked potential to outright train wrecks. That's a great header. Uh, we're going to be talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion and focusing on sustainable actions that you can take as an HR professional uh, within your role. Claudia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kyle, for having me. I'm excited and really looking forward to our conversation. Me too. So uh, I know Claudia, she has presented at our uh, local SHRM chapter meetings uh, a few times. She's got a great perspective, so I'm really excited for all of you to, to hear that today. So uh, Claudia, why don't we start with you just telling us a little bit about your organization? Absolutely. I'll be happy to. So as, as you mentioned, we really focused on helping organizations overcome the dangers of uh, biases that either are conscious or unconscious that could be hindering talent potential. So in other words, how can we build inclusive environments that help each one of us build our capabilities in order to make the contributions that we're capable of making? Because at the end of the day, companies hire talent because you need them. But often, uh, given some circumstances in the workplace, people don't quite are able to live up to those expectations or live up to their potential because there are things getting in the way, biases being one of them. So we go in, we help organizations identify the biases, help put some uh, strategies to mitigate those biases. We help with culture audits. We help build st strategies that are going to take them from vision to execution and and let the fun begin so that's that's what we like to do and and have a, a lot of uh, a lot of fulfillment from doing as well i think the challenge in my seat as an hr practitioner is a lot of times we understand how critical this is to culture. We understand how critical it is that employees feel comfortable and safe at work and that they have a workplace free from bias. But the question that I get from a, a lot of my peers is, where do I start? Yes. So when, when you go into an organization, how what does that look like for you and how do you approach the that question? Yeah, I think it starts with awareness. It's very difficult to mitigate something if you don't even know that it exists. So it starts with understanding that we all have biases. It's part of a human condition. We're all in the same boat together. With that said, it also starts with acknowledging that it doesn't mean we're off the hook. We all have to entertain and commit to interrupting the biases 
because of the impact that they can have on our work, on our interactions at work, and even the overall organizational performance. So it's it's understanding that we have biases, it's understanding the impact of biases and committing to looking into how we might unknowingly might be contributing to perpetuating some of the stereotypes and biases that are really the contributing to all the inequitable outcomes that we either are angry about or sad about. So it's really taking a closer look at that and, and, and taking personal accountability. Often when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, Kyle, it either falls on the HR professional lap or on the CEO lap or in a group of passionate volunteers. And I don't even like to use the word volunteers because I cringe every time I do that. You know, for me, those are the people that are overachievers, specifically when you're taking on such a big job besides your full-time job. But it's really up to each one of us to make our own contributions to building those inclusive workplaces. So understanding bias is the first step. So I, I can hear the conversation now, and I've had this with leaders in my past. Uh, when I confront them with the fact that we all have biases, a lot of times I, I'm faced with a response of, well, I, I'm not racist <laughs> or, or I, I don't, I don't, I'm not biased against anybody. You know, I don't see color. You know, those kinds of statements tend to come out as we're having these these discussions. What is your response to to that type of a feeling as you are educating people on on biases? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think there is a, there's a way of talking about bias that doesn't quite make people feel defensive and helping people understand that because you are good people, because you want to continue to be good, you want to know about your biases. And the reason is because you want to close what is the gap between your intentions and your impact. I think if you ask me, I would love to know that every action I take in my life is aligned with my core values and how I want to uh, make a difference in this world. The problem is that those biases, the shortcuts that help us make quick decisions are happening outside of awareness and they might not always be lining up with our conscious beliefs and values. And I would think leaders would want to know that in order to really close that gap in an intentional way. So that's where I start the conversation. But then part of the conversation, Kyle, is also where you're getting at is to say that if we're not taking steps towards interrupting those biases unknowingly, we might be contributing to systemic racism and discriminatory practices that are not our ultimate goal. So I think it's worth a look and entertaining how we can be a part of the solution. I, I love that comment that making sure that every action is aligned with core values and and the gap between intentions and impact. I I have yet to meet somebody who says, yes, I am an overt racist and I want to continue systemic racism. I I think that my opinion is for the most part people have good intentions. And but but those intentions 
don't have the impact that they um, hope. I mean, my personal situation is I grew up in a town of 5,000 in Clarinda, Iowa. I was completely ignorant to some of these situations until I was until I was educated and brought along into the world of inclusion. And and then once you start to peel back the layers of the onion and you realize all of the barriers that are in place, unintentionally, I you know I didn't intend for those to be there, but within my personal organizations. And then, you know, it was almost like an awakening, like, oh, my gosh, this is this policy needs to change. Absolutely. (laughs) And I know you are a great champion of diversity and inclusion. And I am so thankful that your experiences um, led you through the path of learning how that impacts others, but also how it impacts you. Often when we talk about um, diversity, equity and inclusion, some people don't include themselves in this conversation because they think we're talking about disparities impacting people they don't know. But the reality, we're talking about people that they know. They just don't know about it yet, how it's impacting them. So it's really engaging in the conversation so we can make sure that everyone, those who we know and those who we don't know, can benefit from some good practices. Yeah, that's a great point. So. Can you give give us an example of of an unintentional bias or a situation that you've observed that has been detrimental to the workplace culture? Yes, I hear often, Kyle, uh, people saying, I don't see color. I treat everyone the same. And, And to me, that's an indication of having a biased opinion that seeing racial or ethnic differences is part of the problem, when in reality, it's actually part of the solution. Recognizing that we are all different, that we we offer something different, perspectives, backgrounds, experiences, we have a different voice, and all voices need to be heard, that is actually a part of a very productive conversation. And not seeing those differences is contributing to the complicit silence that we see in organizations today when there is, you know, very conscious bias, bias towards people. So when I hear the words, I don't see color, I treat everyone the same, immediately for me, that's a red flag. And I understand that here in Iowa, people are trying to do the right thing. Maybe they were taught that it was rude. Maybe they were taught that color doesn't matter, treat everyone the same because we're going for equality. However, you can't get to equality without acknowledging the current state. And the current state, we're not quite there yet. We're all starting at different points. And you can't, uh, I think, you know, if you if you are a runner, I think everyone wants to start at the start line and we're not everyone is at the start line right now. So equality will be when we're all at the start line at the same time. One of the things that you helped me understand in one of your presentations was the difference between equality and equity. And in the context of a white male 
the the truth of the matter is that if you are treated the same as somebody who is in a minoritized community or in a different um, situation socioeconomically or they have barriers in the way if you if you are both treated exactly the same they will have less advantages than you absolutely absolutely yes and and i like to to use an analogies you know like this road race that I was talking about, the start line for some people who are runners, it resonates with them. For those that are not runners, perhaps it's it's a weak one. But but I I will tell you a personal example. When I was growing up, uh, I don't know if your listeners picked up on my accent, but I grew up in Brazil. I lived in Brazil until I was 17 years old, and then I moved to Japan with my family. But early on, when I was uh, in school, I think I was maybe a second grader, I wasn't quite reading at the level that I was supposed to be reading. And my twin sister, on the other hand, was much more advanced. She was a great reader. And my mom then went out into the community and looked for resources for me. And she found me a tutor and in order for me to, to catch up. And that was great help. That is exactly what I needed. That is equity. My mom didn't get my sister a tutor because my sister didn't need one. You know, equality is giving both of the kids a tutor, either they they need it or not. Equity is really meeting people where they're at, understanding the hurdle, understanding how some policies or practices are impacting them, given their circumstances, even before they got to you. So I think that's the conversation organizations today are trying to have and really understand the context of where people came from in order to make it work for all of us. I think about this in the context of of working from home. We have had to get to know our employees on a much deeper level partially because their kids are now running through the <laughs> running through the screen on all you know, on the zoom calls um, <laughs> but also because working from home presents a significant number of barriers to people who maybe don't have great internet at home maybe they're maybe they're working at home with children maybe they don't have the means to put their children in daycare um, maybe they have a personal health condition that precludes them from you know, being available. What I've actually seen is it's in a in a weird silver lining for COVID-19 is it's actually fostered empathy at my company because we've had to get to know each other on a much deeper level. What are some action steps that an HR professional who maybe is is understands that they need to foster diversity, equity, and inclusion in their organization what are some action steps that they can take to educate themselves and educate their teams and really start to make this uh, a, a focus within their organization? Yes, that's great. Great question, Kyle. So let me give you a couple of um, action steps here. And, and they're not all simple. So I bear with me here. I'm going to try to be as clear as I can be, because some of these steps, it, it's more than one step. Uh, it's it's something that I want people to walk away with a cohesive idea of where to start. So I'm going to tell you that it starts with you as an HR professional, as a leader. Uh, what can you learn and how can you walk the talk? And it starts with learning the six C's of inclusive leadership. And this is a, a, a model 
framework uh, designed by Deloitte, and it's very effective in showing what inclusive leaders do. And the first C is commitment to the business case of, of diversity and inclusion. And as you and I know, Kyle, it's more than saying, yes, I support diversity. It's really being able to articulate the, the business case for yourself and also for your organization. It's really internalizing the values that make the, the this work uh, make sense to you. So get rid of the cheat sheets that you have in your back pocket when it comes to talking about diversity and inclusion. Just focus on what that means to you and why it makes sense for your business. Second, courage to speak up it, it, and challenge the status quo whenever needed. I think, Kyle, you, you know, the practice now of uh, working from home, you, you, you spoke to something that potentially could be very detrimental for some people. Like you mentioned, not having um, a stable internet connection, not having the equipment, not having even a room in their house that is private enough for taking business meetings. So if some of those conversations appear to be inequitable, appear to be biased, speak up, find courage to, to find congruency between the core values of your company and the actions that your leadership team is trying to take. Three, cognizance of bias. We talked a little bit about bias, but just for those of you that may, may not be familiar with the topic, it, we're talking about those quick associations and judgments that are happening in our minds outside of our awareness. And they're happening just like this. And over time, they become shortcuts. And those shortcuts help us make very fast decisions. And they also help us make good decisions, not bad decisions all the time. Unfortunately, we are those shortcuts are those associations that sometimes we are bringing with us since the times of when we were a child. And, and those shortcuts might be very erroneous, you know, and might not be very aligned with your core values. It might not be aligned with your conscious beliefs anymore. So being aware of those biases is the first step in order to be able to, you know, have the alignment between your intentions and your impact. For curiosity about others' perspectives, about other people that might come from a different background and really be curious enough, genuinely curious to understand what does it mean to you? Help me help me find out. Being five, being culturally intelligent. And this is really about being also emotionally intelligent. I know many of you leaders understand what emotional intelligence is. And culturally intelligent is somewhat along those lines, but it's understanding that when you have different cultures, different perspectives, knowing how to navigate those differences and, and find still some uh, alignment and synergy. And six, um, being collaborative. How do you wire your team to collaborate, to be collaborative? Because collaboration is at the core of inclusivity. Uh, so that's the first step. The second step is establish common language. 
Common language is one of the key issues that I have seen within organizations that want to embrace the values of diversity, equity, and inclusion, but they lack the common language, so they are afraid of saying the wrong things. They don't know what you mean by diversity, by equity, so people stay away because it's safer, less complicated. So once you establish those terms, define them clearly so everyone's on the same page. Uh, and different things, different terms that means different things for different people. So understanding that and taking that input as you are framing that is how it's done. Three, develop a vision and strategy. I am very biased, Kyle, towards having a strategy because this work is a lifelong work. It will not go away. And if you are not sure what your vision is and where to start, you could be jumping into activities for many, many years to come and not be moving the needle the way you intended to. And it can be very frustrating. It can be draining. It can be a recipe for burnout and disaster. But developing a vision and a strategy to get you from point A to execution is, I think, one of the, the recommendations I like to leave you with. And there are more actions too, but I want to pause for a second, Kyle, just to let you chime in. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. I'm just, I'm making frantic notes to make sure that I have, okay, step one, do this, step two, do this. You know, if I can back up, I'm curious to ask your opinion on on this topic because I've I've seen some interesting, uh, I'll call it debates um, in my circles as it relates to a business case for diversity, equity, and inclusion. What is your take on the importance of a business case? What is, what does that look like? Um, and yeah, it. I guess just just help me understand your perspective on what's needed with a business case. Business case, sure. You know, multiple people have different takes on the business case, Kyle. But for me, it's besides being the right thing to do from a human perspective, it's also uh, something that you do as a business. And, and most of my clients are for-profit businesses and and they are corporate clients. So it's important also to understand how that impacts your bottom line. So it doesn't mean you're doing for the bottom line only. You're doing it's the right thing to do, but there is a lot of incentive for doing it right because there is data showing that a, a direct correlation with increased sales and profit when you have more gender diversity, when you have more racial and ethnic diversity in teams, or in leadership teams. When I started my career as a diversity and inclusion practitioner over 15 years ago, Kyle, we didn't have this hard data. It was just this conviction. And it was quite frustrating not to have the data that McKinsey and company provides, uh, Catalyst and other organizations have been so hard at, at providing to us. And so I'm very appreciative of the hard data because for those that need to see the data, it's there. Uh, now, do we still have a lot more room to continue to collect more data points and even get a handle on inclusivity 
from a data perspective? Absolutely. I think we could invest a lot more time in doing that. So, but besides the increased sales and profits, we also have seen that inclusive workplaces have reduced costs associated with turnover, uh, with um, uh, burnout. You know, a lot of the, the companies that do a very good job and have been doing this for a while, uh, people come to work because they want to be there. And that allows people to make contributions, spark innovation, and really get your company uh, give your company an edge, a competitive advantage that uh, we talk about, but many don't know what that feels like, don't know what that looks like. But it, that is definitely impacting the bottom line when your employees want to be there and do the best work they can do. From my perspective, the, the argument was that you shouldn't have to have a business case because it is just the right thing to do. So if your company is forcing a business case for diversity, then their argument was that's not a place you want to work. Oh, uh, interesting. But from I my perspective, that's just how business operates. You have to have a business plan and, and and there need to be deliverable outcomes. And I think about it, you know, in the context of diversity, I think very differently than my CFO. Mm-hmm. And and I'm a visual connection, you know, emotional kind of a kind of a thinker and decision maker. My CFO wants to see data. He wants to understand where this falls on the priority list. Yes. And and then the critical thing for my mind is, as an HR person, if you want resources to get anything done, yeah. the, that's going to cost time, energy, money, sweat equity. You, you got, you've got to be able to make articulate that business case so that you can get resources to go out and do some of these things. Absolutely. I, you know, Kyle, I think that's such an interesting conversation. I need a business case to go to the gym, for heaven's sakes. I'll tell you. Uh, and I have to, I try to articulate that business case. Often, sometimes I lose because I haven't internalized it. But so I think for those of us that live in, in corporate environments, I think we have learned that there are people that will get on board if they see certain types of information. And I think, you know, trying to be inclusive, trying to understand the diversity of learning styles is how you get the message across. So I, like you, learned that for certain people, certain types of information, data points will matter more than for others. And I like to be prepared to have the conversation with all people. So I will always do the best I can to articulate the business case. That's great. Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a, a critical point in my mind. And I think a lot of times as HR practitioners, we aren't necessarily the best at articulating that because a lot of times we we do operate on on maybe a different decision making style than a, somebody in the financial sector or sales or operations or, you know, pick a yeah. pick a function. Right. We're all a little different. Absolutely. <laughs> the other question that I had as you were talking through some of these steps what revolves around common language and Mm -hmm. i think one of the biggest challenges that we run into in hr is that a lot of times we are torn between being uh, focused on employee and human experience Mm -hmm. and focused on compliance Mm -hmm. and and you know mitigating legal action and and 
within those two areas as it relates to diversity, it it does get a little bit scary mm-hmm. because it's not safe to start to talk about race and foster that conversation within your culture if your culture has issues. <laughs> yeah. So, so what uh, what advice or what what approach would you recommend to an HR person who knows that they need to do this because it's the right thing to do, mm-hmm. but is is afraid to really start to get honest and transparent with their employees about actions that need to be taken? Yes. That's a an excellent question because right now that's what I'm talking about with uh, I was Sherm State Council and I'm going to be offering three sessions for those directors that sit on the council on how to facilitate some conversations about social justice, race and equity with their counterparts or employees in the workplace, which is not always easy. But I think it comes down to uh, a few things. One, if you're going to start having these conversations out of the blue, I'm not sure it's going to go well. You need to understand where is your company in this journey? Have you been doing this work for a while? Have you articulated the business case? Have you tried to understand some of the biases that you may or may not have? And then now, do you feel that you you have the skills, meaning listening skills, understanding of some of those concepts or how equity actually works outside of the workplace and in the workplace? Do you feel that you have that uh, in your in your toolbox in order to sit down and listen to those experiences that might be very different from yours? If that's where you're at. I think you're ready. Uh, you need to prepare a little bit. You need to have some rules of engagement and, and then set expectations besides rules of engagement, meaning let's be respectful. Let's not interrupt. You know, you get the the what I'm saying having those basic guidelines, you also need to be very clear about expectations. In my experience, Kyle, when we talk about conversations, people immediately jump into, what are you going to do about it after the conversation? What are action steps? What is going to be implemented? So if you don't have any uh, intentions of implementing anything that comes out of the conversation, you need to set the record straight from the get-go. Uh, But let's say your organization is on the flip side of that. You're on the other end of the continuum. You just decided to get engaged in this conversation in a more formal way now about diversity, equity and inclusion or social justice in general. And you want to jump into a conversation. I would pause. I would pause. Why? Because I think there are some more foundational steps that you can take in order to pave the way for those meaningful conversations to actually make a difference. Otherwise, it can be very overwhelming. It can be very frustrating for HRs and leaders to just open the gates, receive the feedback, and really feel lost as to what it means to to them, what it means to the organization, and not knowing what to do from there. That's my two cents worth. Uh, That's great advice. Sometimes I, I fall into the camp of I just want to go do things. <laughs> <laughs> so good, yeah, good advice. I'm I'm taking notes, like I said. I'm I'll, 
make sure I remember your advice, Claudia. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> because we don't know. It's like peeking through the curtain. You don't know where you're going to see on the other side. And you want to make sure you're prepared because sometimes it takes it takes a, one good idea badly executed to leave people with a lasting impression that you were not serious about any of this work. And it's very unfortunate and even unfair, but that's the reality. And and the reality is also that on the other side of the curtain, we have employees that have been living with trauma in the workplace for many, many years. They have been wanting to have those conversations for many, many years. They're waiting for you. And and now that you said you're ready, but you're not really ready, it's not easy to digest this. So I, I would be very, very thoughtful and, and deliberate in how you position a conversation. Great advice. The other thing that I, I've personally seen, and, and I consider this one of the critical aspects of a business case, but companies who get good at this and truly build an inclusive culture do have a competitive advantage within the marketplace for when you're looking for top talent, when you are looking to be more innovative in your product and how you serve your customers, uh, as you are looking to try to retain more people. An inclusive culture statistically shows that you have a competitive advantage. So I'm curious, you mentioned some of the research around McKinsey and and Catalyst, and um, I know Deloitte has a lot of great research. What what advice would you give to somebody who kind of knows this? They know this, they've seen it, but but they can't they can't put it down on paper, or they can't they can't make the business case, or bring bring the rest of the executive team along for the ride. What what advice would you give them if they're if they just kind of feel stuck? Okay, so I think you have to study it. This is I think uh, something that I had to do with many different topics within my area of diversity, equity and inclusion because I noticed that I had this emotional understanding but I wasn't able to articulate in a way that made sense. And also sometimes when I caught myself saying it, it wasn't quite as convincing as I thought it would be. Uh, So I think you need to study it. You need to have the data, read, analyze the data for what it is, but also bring that into context for your own work in your organization and try to find case studies within your organization that will illustrate the impact that you want to articulate for your organization. Because we all have those case studies, those scenarios that we can take from uh, one action into a potential um, you know, future outcome that we're looking at um, exploring with our leaders, right? So hiring often comes up. You know, there are um, a lot of, there's a lot of data right now talking about hiring and um, biases and and how to mitigate biases in the hiring process. 
and we know that there is a correlation with diversifying your workforce with increased uh, productivity. Take a look at your organization. What are some of those instances that you saw, uh, you know, a diverse a person? I don't like to say diverse hire because I don't know what that means, but a person with a diverse background, a person with a diverse background that came into your organization and did something differently. And that sparked a, a completely different way of looking at a process or looking at product development or marketing. We all have those nuggets. We just don't leverage those nuggets to tell our story and to articulate that business case from a place that you know well, which is your company, which is your business. I've done thousands of interviews. I can honestly tell you that it's really easy to screen people with the halo effect. Yes. And if you don't actively make yourself aware that you like people that are like you mm-hmm. from the same background, you are going to miss out on a whole slew of diverse candidates that are different than you. And ultimately, that's what your organization needs to succeed. So, well, Absolutely. well put. Well put. Yeah. Yeah, we have this tendency of uh, prefer people that are in our in-group versus the out-group. In the in-group are the people that are more like us, at least on the surface, right, that look like us. In the out-group, the people that on the surface don't look like us. And, and the halo effect is when is really when they say something that you find very positive or or attractive or that you have in common, and, and that information now makes everything that that person does or say sound very positive. So we start to lean towards those candidates that we have more affinities with versus those that are neutral, because it doesn't mean they don't have anything in common with us. Yeah, I think a, a great example of that is, some, is something as simple as talking about sports in an interview as a way to build rapport, which is very common, can actually be detrimental to inclusion efforts because that person might like soccer or for our international listeners, football, mm-hmm. and I might like American football and detest soccer. So the fact that you like Manchester United and I like the Green Bay Packers could actually hurt your chances to get that job, even though you might be the best candidate. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's yeah. kind of a silly example, but it's I've seen that. And yeah. I've seen a hiring manager ask, what are your what are your favorite hobbies? And yeah. I just cringe because it's like, no, don't. <laughs> that's too personal. It's not, and it's not effective in understanding how this person will do the job. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and Kyle, I've heard in in the past, hiring managers taking some of their top three candidates out for breakfast or or lunch, come back and and when we're talking about. How do you think that person would do the job and, and would it do it effectively and efficiently based on what you heard? They would turn to us and say, I didn't like him or her for that matter. He used too much ketchup. I don't like ketchup, so I, I can See? understand there how you, you feel go. that way. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that was mind-boggling for me because, wait a minute, how are we getting to this conversation about ketchup when it has nothing to do with the, the, the core qualifications or duties of the job? So educating leaders about what's 
in scope or out of scope is a very important step in educating them on how to interrupt some of those biases. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure God, we're going deep here. I'm sharing a lot about my my implicit biases here. But ketchup <laughs> is one of those that, that would fall in there. I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about some success stories. And I think this topic can can be really heavy and challenging. And in, and in the times that we're going through right now with the election and the social unrest and quarantine and, you know, whatever new, you know, disaster of the month uh, pops up next month. Um, I'd like to spend some time talking about successes that you've seen mm-hmm. through some of the work that you've done and, you know, what has worked and, and, you know, give, give me some good stories. So when it comes to the workforce, I worked with a local nonprofit organization that serves uh, a lot of the underserved community members in our area. And they are statewide and very effective at what they do and, and have a great reputation. What they realized is that while they're helping other companies to attract and retain uh employees from a certain demographic, they themselves as an employer were not hiring those individuals from that demographic. So, and usually it's people with disabilities. So they wanted to, they called me in and said, Claudia, we want to get to understanding better what is happening here because we're helping other companies. How come we're not hiring them? So we start with just a conversation about uh, bias and how bias can get in the way of our good intentions. And then we moved on into designing a uh, not a a full blown recruiting strategy, but it was a, a, a sourcing talent management action plan. And after that conversation about the action plan, we assigned responsibilities, changed a couple of things that they were doing, and they started to implement the action plan. And and by the way, what I thought this organization did very well, and I think that's why it was successful, is that they didn't stop the conversation just at the top layer of the organization with the leadership team. They actually rolled out unconscious bias training to the whole nonprofit organization. So everyone knew what they were doing, why they were doing, why it was important. And when they started to implement the plan, uh, within nine months, they had a a 12% increase in representation of that demographic. So they were very intentional. They devoted their resources. They had a plan and off they went. So that's a success story. So again, it doesn't mean that you're doing everything under the umbrella, but you focused on one area that you really thought would help your business, your organization. The second organization is a a manufacturing organization here in Iowa as well. And this organization had a long-term employee. In fact, this employee was working for this organization for about 30 years. And uh, one day, the employee came to work as the opposite sex. So this employee decided to transition uh, into the work in the workplace. So it was a transgender employee. And that caused a lot of turmoil 
it caused a lot of conversations. It caused a lot of complaints. HR was receiving a lot of phone calls. People were upset. And again, these people worked together for 30 years. They're friends. But all of a sudden, this employee was using the bathroom that he wasn't, quote unquote, he wasn't supposed to be using. And um, HR didn't know what to do about it. So when we talked to HR, we talked about a transgender uh, policy in the workplace and, and how to ensure that people that are transitioning, they know what to do, they are safe, and also took time to get to the bottom of the complaints. And, and maybe to no surprise to you, Kyle, the main complaint was actually around the bathroom use. And deciding to have a bathroom policy around being a gender neutral bathroom to, made the, the complaints to HR decrease by 90 percent, 90 percent. So just by saying this bathroom is gender neutral and now, you know, whoever wants to use this bathroom, they can alleviated quite a bit of the frustration and the tension in the workplace. And there we also rolled out unconscious bias training to that plant because uh, we we thought people needed to understand their own biases and in interacting with their longtime friend and colleague. Uh, so that that's a metric right there and that I think is to me is very impressive. And then in the marketplace space, we worked with a financial services company. This is actually a company that has done so much work around diversity, equity, and inclusion that when they hired me, I actually, I'll be honest with you, I thought, I'm not sure how I can help them. They're already helping themselves. But they decided they wanted to do the unconscious bias training. And uh, we talked a lot about how to customize the, the training, the content, so it was relevant to all employees, and they decided to roll out the, the training to their 500 plus employees that they have. And interesting thing that came out of the training, uh, and they do the trainings every two years or so, so that was something that they were committed to doing no matter what. But what came out of the training that I think was unexpected to me is that some of the people that were dealing with the, the, the clients, the customers, realized during our sessions together that they had biases that were unconscious at the time towards offering uh, online banking services to older customers. Hmm. Because they assumed the older customers wanted more of the face-to-face -face interaction or were not good with technology. So they are not even offering some of those online banking services. And then quickly after the training, they decided to be more intentional about offering those services. And they had an increase in the adoption of those services uh, in a very short amount of time. So those are three success stories in three different areas that I think uh, could help to tell a story that you don't need to do everything all at the same time, but whatever you do, make sure it's aligned with your vision, that you measure success, whatever it is, so you can tell your story. I love the case studies. I learned so much just from hearing success stories. But you know what, what I heard is you don't have to change the world. You just have to 
be focused and change one incremental thing and be intentional about it and and that that can ripple beyond right absolutely kyle very yeah. well said i i have a story that it illustrates my bias a little bit uh and as it relates to manufacturing a lot of times we have a stigma and we can assume that our manufacturing employees have certain political views or feel a certain way about a certain group of people and it's it's unfair to to think of them in that way so the story that i i like to share is uh, the uh, the time when I, I actually I moved my office at one point and I was because I wanted to be right on the floor right next to the manufacturing associates and wanted to be more available uh, to them and so I was literally right on the basically right on the manufacturing floor and I could hear the machines running and I could hear uh, the, the conversations that were being had outside my office and I'd been in that office for about a week and I heard I heard someone yelling mm-hmm. and I and I don't I didn't know what was going on I'm thinking you know, you know, in my mind, oh no, somebody's fighting. <laughs> so I, I throw on my safety glasses, I run out to the floor, and I realize that somebody is is actually uh, singing the the Muslim call to prayer. Oh. And and I was like, okay, I could, you know, I can back off. And then I just stopped and I looked around at at the employees, and nobody seemed to. Nobody had any issues with it. Nobody even, you know, gave it the time of day and the the. The gentleman working on that machine with this individual, they worked in a pair. Uh, he was a, it's like wearing a Harley Davidson leather jacket, you know, scruffy beard, you know, and look, you know, definitely the your prototypical tough guy. They're working right next to each other. Wow. There's no concerns here, uh, you know. And I and I I took a step back and I thought, okay, I need to I need to have more faith in people, mm-hmm. and I need to check my own internal biases about my employees. And I think as an, as an HR professional, you know, my advice would be find those, mm-hmm. find those moments, check your biases and, and don't underestimate people. Absolutely. I love that. Don't underestimate people and check your biases. Yeah. yeah. It, it helps to understand when some of those biases might be kicking in. Right. It could be in the morning. It could be when you're stressed or multitasking, which some of you would argue it's all the time. Who's not stressed or multitasking, right? 2020. <laughs> exactly. But it, it could you could find that there might be moments that you're more prone to having some of those immediate reactions than others. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think the other thing will I think. Uh, that you mentioned that we can't reiterate enough. It truly is a journey. It, it's nothing you're ever going to be able to truly solve. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a constant progression, and it will con- and it will continue to be for the rest of our working and uh, natural lives. <laughs> yes, and, and, and if you don't mind, uh, Kyle, I'm going to make this last comment here because I I think it's important. That's exactly it. What I have been seeing right now with this conversation about the COVID-19 pandemic and how it has impacted um, so many communities and, and it has magnified the disparities that, and inequities that we, we have known that they have been there for so long. And, or maybe some of you didn't even know they existed. But now I think most of us have come to terms that they are there. And the fact that we're having the the civil unrest around social justice uh, outcries and and 
and also racial inequalities. I, I, I find that a lot of people want to engage in this conversation in good faith. A lot of people are finding the time to educate themselves. And I think that's very rewarding. And I'm hoping that we'll continue to be talking about this and continue to let the conversation evolve so we get we can get to a place that people feel comfortable understanding that, yes, we look different and, and that's what makes us uh, better. On the flip side, I, I want to also say that what I have seen some people do is that they have been reading a couple books and now they feel that they are ready and equipped to go out there and fix the problem. And as you just mentioned, Kyle, we're not going to fix this problem because the way you might want to fix the problem might not be fixing it at all. It might be making it worse. So I think if having vulnerability and humility and understanding that this is bigger than us and bigger than all of us together and we need to be patient and continue to engage in this conversation so we can get to a place that it feels better, uh, it's part of our commitment to social justice. It's part of our commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And if you are going to be doing these efforts within your organization, it's important for those people to have passion, but passion alone will not get the job done. So make an investment, hire the right people, hire the, the skill sets that you need to advance this conversation within your organization. Great comment. We'll leave it there. Thank you so much, Claudia. If any of our listeners want to get connected with you, how can we get in contact with you? Sure thing. Well, I sit on the Iowa Sherm State Council. You can find us there on the website. Uh, my email is shable at shablesolutions.com. I'm happy to answer any questions that, uh, you know, maybe what I said confused you or if it's lingering and percolating reach out. Happy to engage in a conversation. Much appreciated, Claudia. As always, I always I always learn so much when I talk to you. I, I'm just uh, loving this one-on-one uh, -on -one conversation. Uh, uh, really appreciate here. it. Same here. And, and way to go. Way to be a rebel, Kyle. Good for you. Yeah, we're, we're excited to, uh, to continue to push the boundaries a little bit and, and change mindsets. So Wonderful. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. You too. All right. That does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we are in. No animals. Baby.